MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, May 18th, 2023. Today, the National Archives responds to a special counsel subpoena in the Trump Mar-a-Lago documents case. Another Trump lawyer abandons ship. North Carolina Republicans override the Democratic governor's veto of its abortion ban. Big wins for Democrats in mayoral elections. The Supreme Court will not block Illinois' assault weapon ban. Rudy Giuliani is hit with another lawsuit. Ohio Republicans want to make it harder to amend the state constitution. And Senate Democrats urge Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment to bypass the Republican-manufactured debt ceiling crisis. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you, my dear. Thank you. I just want to let everybody know I'm a bit under the weather. I woke up with a sore throat today, so my voice might be a little scratchy, so I apologize for that. But I'm in a good mood and I feel okay. Um, I've got that brain fog, though, so I'll end up in a room and not know why I'm there. But that could also just be, you know, because I'm 50. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I hear you. I'm always like, it's because of the cold, right? It's because of the cold. Later in the show, I'm really excited. We're going to be talking with the founder and CEO of the Propeller app, Brandon DeRoche. That's a very, very cool conversation. And and some big stories real quick that we aren't going to cover in the main body of the news here because we're going to cover them on the Jack podcast. First of all, uh, Jack Smith subpoenaed the National Archives and the National Archives informed Trump today that they're handing over 16 documents proving that Trump knew what the declassification protocols were to declassify documents. Amazing. Really? You can't just think about it and it's done? Right. You can't wave a magic wand. And they have proof that Trump knew that. And uh, we're going to talk about that on the Jack podcast, particularly about how that isn't just obstruction. That's espionage 793D. And that's very important. Also, Trump attorney Jim Parlatore or Parlatore, I call him Parlatore, has resigned from Donald's documents legal team, third lawyer to be backbenched on the documents team in the past month or so. And we'll talk about that on the Jack podcast, too, with Andy McCabe. That comes out every Sunday. It's about time to start listening if you haven't started listening to that show. And Dana, big upset in Jacksonville, Florida, as a Democrat is elected mayor where a Republican has been mayor for 26 of the past 30 years. And now all top 20 cities in the country have Democratic mayors. Incredible. Unbelievable. I love to see it. Huge win for Donna Deegan, first woman mayor of Jacksonville also. And let's go up to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Another upset as Democrat Yemi Mobilade, a Nigerian-born businessman and unaffiliated political newcomer, will become the city's first elected black mayor. So that is also very, very awesome. And it's it's a bellwether of, of things to come. I mean, you know, Republicans lost big in 2018. Uh, they lost big in 2022, 2020. Uh, and now I think we're going to see this trend continue. And another piece of good news, the Supreme Court has refused to block Illinois' assault weapons ban. Basically, a gun rights advocacy group was suing to stop, overturn the assault weapons ban in Illinois, and they put in an, they, a request for an emergency stay to block that law from going into effect while they litigate. And the Supreme Court said, no, we aren't going to block it. But they took a week to make that decision. So it sounds like there was some 
chat, <laughs> you know, between among the, it wasn't like an instantaneous thing. And I'm, I'm really would be interested, you know, in, in some point in the future, we learn who convinced the whole panel that, that they weren't going to hear that case. Yeah, I, it, it would be really interesting, especially because we know how much money the NRA has in this country funneled in yeah. from Russia and everywhere else. Or not that they would hear the case. I'm sorry. I don't want to confuse this with certiorari. This was to, to right, right. Yeah, have a stay. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Wagner at The Washington Post, a group of Senate Democrats is circulating a letter urging President Biden to prepare to invoke the 14th Amendment, Section 4, to unilaterally resolve the debt ceiling standoff without involving Congress at all. And that's according to a copy of the letter obtained by The Washington Post ahead of its release. The letter, signed by five senators so far, more expected to sign on, reflects building unease among White House allies over the direction of negotiations between Biden and the House Speaker McCarthy on an agreement expected to cut the deficit and raise the debt limit. Liberal lawmakers have balked as Biden entertains spending cuts and new work requirements on federal aid programs, fueling interest in a solution to the standoff that does not require a deal with McCarthy. The effort comes as House Democrats start to collect signatures for a discharge petition. I talked about this on the show before. That would move legislation that would raise the debt ceiling without any other policy changes. A long shot procedural move aimed at bypassing the chamber's Republican leaders. The senator's letter reminds Biden that the 14th Amendment says that the validity of the public debt authorized by law shall not be questioned. Lawmakers have just days before a possible June 1st deadline, and there's really only a couple of working days left in Congress between now and then to raise the nation's borrowing limit. If the cap isn't raised by the time the Treasury Department runs out of available cash, the nation risks default, which would likely prompt a global economic shock or it could send the U.S. into a recession. Quote, Republicans have made it clear that they're prepared to hold our entire economy hostage unless you accede to their demands to reduce the deficit on the backs of working families and, and veterans. I'll add the veterans. That is simply unacceptable. That's what the letter states. We write to urgently request that you prepare to exercise your authority, your authority under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Using this authority would allow the United States to continue to pay its bills on time without delay, preventing a global economic catastrophe. The letter is signed so far by Senators Tina Smith from Minnesota, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, Edward Markey from Massachusetts, and Jeff Merkley in Oregon, as well as Senator Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont. Those lawmakers met in the Capitol today to discuss their plans. More signatures, as I said, are expected before its release, with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, for instance, calling for the president to invoke the 14th Amendment on Twitter. I will also sign this letter, senators, if you need, you know, my clout. <laughs> I'm in. Mm -hmm. The 14th Amendment is just one of the ideas. A House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, who previously characterized the discharge petition that I talked about before as a last-ditch effort, endorsed it on Wednesday in a letter to Democratic colleagues, even as he expressed hope that a real pathway still exists for a bipartisan solution. The discharge petition would allow a majority of the House to force a vote on raising the debt ceiling, even if Republican leadership is opposed to the bill. It would need 218 signatures. If all 213 Democrats in the chamber sign on, which isn't a given, they would still need five Republicans to buck their party leadership. Some Democrats have said they want to see how negotiations unfold to know the details of the legislation that will ultimately be attached to the petition before they sign it. All right, AG, thank you so much. This is from Joe Ingalls and at State House News. OK, Ohio lawmakers. They beat a Wednesday deadline to pass a resolution, which is SJR2, and that could put before voters in an August special election, a decision on whether to make it harder to amend the Constitution. 
Well, Wednesday evening, after two new House members were appointed to open seats, 62 Republican members of the Ohio House voted to approve the resolution. But that didn't happen without a lot of controversy. It's possible the resolution could still face a legal challenge because it contains language about scheduling a special election. Stephen Steinglass, Dean Emeritus of Cleveland State University College of Law, and the resolution itself contains a vehicle to create an election, okay? It says those are, quote, two distinct legal instruments that cannot be combined. But Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman, who's a Republican, said legal counsel for the legislature told lawmakers the resolution is legal. Mm-hmm. And House Speaker Jason, yeah, House Speaker Jason Stevens agreed on this. Well, this is a quote. Our legal team has put together and looked at the resolution, and it feels like it's solid resolution that should be able to withstand any legal challenge. Well, that to me should be a red flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> According to the rules that I've just made up. Exactly. Jen Miller with the League of Women Voters of Ohio said her group is considering a lawsuit over the matter. We're looking at that because it's absolutely illegal to call for an August election in a resolution. And that's from Miller herself. Lawmakers in the House went down to the wire in the effort to put the measure before voters. This resolution raises the passage threshold to 60 percent instead of the current requirement of 50 percent plus one. It also requires petition signatures from all 88 counties. (sighs) Yeah, right now, petitioners only have to collect 44 counties. And this resolution eliminated what is known as the cure period, when more signatures can be collected and added to the total after petitions are initially submitted. May 10 was the last day to pass the resolution to be able to put it in on the August 8 ballot. More than 250 unions and committee groups have come out in opposition to it. Hundreds of the opponents packed inside the rotunda of the Ohio State House while the vote was being taken. They chanted so loudly that they could be heard inside the chamber, even with its heavy doors closed as the resolution was debated and the vote was taken. Now, Ohio House Minority Leader Allison Russo, and she's, of course, a Democrat from Upper Arlington, told reporters after the vote that she is disappointed with Republican Speaker Jason Stevens, who was elected to that position with the support of all 32 Democrats. Hmm. I'm telling you, they'll burn you every fucking time. They will. Don't do that anymore, Democrats. Stop. Nope. And this is a quote from Russo. The Republican majority has made it very clear that they will cave to extremists, cave to out-of-state interests, cave to partisan politics. Ohio Education Association President Scott DeMaros said his union will work to defeat the resolution, just like it did more than a decade ago when lawmakers passed an anti-collective bargaining law. That legislation was later repealed by the voters. And this is a quote. Politicians then kicked a hornet's nest and incited a movement across the state. This was from DeMauro. Yep, I sure did. Now, though they're greatly outnumbered, some supporters of the proposal came out to make their voices heard, too. Many aligned with groups that oppose abortion. Beth Vanderkoy, uh, Cooey, Vanderkoey? I think Vanderkoey. Sure. All right. Executive director, I always love when there's a sure, because we don't know. <laughs> Executive director of the Greater Columbus Right to Life said she's looking forward to selling the constitutional change to voters. Yeah. Election day could be August 8, unless the resolution is stopped by the courts. The head of Uline, Richard Uline, has uh, given roughly $1.1 million to a PAC that's urging the Ohio House to set an August election for the 60% resolution. Unions and others who oppose the constitutional change said they have a lot of grassroots support and will use those forces to defeat the proposed constitutional change. And I will say this, these Republicans better be fucking careful with things they're trying to do right now because the way the tides are turning, I know, even right? in Ohio, 
If they end up losing the legislature to Democrats, they are going to regret what they are trying to do with the Constitution. I will just say that. Yeah. And that brings us into that. That's a perfect segue to the next story because shit's going down in North Carolina, too. This is from uh, Kitchener at The Washington Post. The North Carolina legislature banned most abortions after 12 weeks of pregnancy on Tuesday, voting to override the veto of Governor Roy Cooper, while a similar measure heads to a final vote in Nebraska in the coming days. The Senate voted to override the veto in a 30 to 20 vote Tuesday afternoon, with the House swiftly following suit in a 72 to 48 vote. Shouts of shame erupted on the House floor after the chamber voted with its new GOP supermajority. The bills both significantly narrow the window for legal abortions, but stop short of more restrictive bans that have taken effect across the South and Midwest since the Supreme Court overturned Roe. That's a result of a push from moderate Republicans who feared political backlash. Well, guess what? This one's going to fucking bite you in the ass, too. In South Carolina, Republicans are moving a bill through the state legislature that would ban most abortions once fetal cardiac activity is detected, which is around the sixth week. But it's not even really. That's just electrical impulses. Uh, But they've decided to call it a heartbeat. The Republican governor ordered lawmakers back into session to complete unfinished work, including on legislation restricting abortions. A near total ban in the state recently failed. The dynamics underscore the resistance GOP lawmakers are facing over restrictions, even within their own party, as Republican hardliners reluctantly move toward legislation many see as a compromise after failing to muster enough support for stricter measures. They see the six-week heartbeat ban as a compromise. That's unbelievable. Actually, totally believable. I take that back. That you would compromise my fucking rights is beyond That's just beyond until. Well, it's not beyond them until recently. North Carolina's legislature had no hope of passing any kind of an abortion ban subject to Cooper's veto pen. But the dynamic shifted in April when Republicans gained the votes necessary to override his veto after Rep. Trisha Cotham left the Democratic Party for the Republican Party. Remember, she switched. Is she a mole? Like, is she like an actual dem who's like i'm switching to republican to get this passed so that the republicans all get their asses kicked that would be a fucking i mean that would be a long game but i don't know i guess it's that's a bad game to play with people's rights yeah when the 12-week ban initially passed in early may with cotham's support cooper launched an aggressive effort to prevent a veto override targeting a handful of moderate republicans including cotham who pledged during their campaigns to oppose further restrictions on abortion she ran on that and you know truth be told you, she didn't have to switch parties to vote for this true if just one republican in either the house or the senate keeps a campaign promise to protect women's reproductive health just one We can stop this ban. That's what the governor said, Cooper, at a rally before he vetoed the bill on Saturday, surrounded by a crowd of abortion rights supporters. You probably all saw the clip where he signed the veto in front of, uh, you know, it was a, a veto rally. North Carolina Democrats have argued fiercely that the legislation would halt abortions long before the 12 week mark, expressing particular concern about a provision that would require patients to have an in person consultation with a doctor at least 72 hours before an abortion in addition to the visit required for the abortion itself. That's the stuff Roe protected against. Jesus. The extra in-person visit would make it harder for out-of-state patients to travel to North Carolina, which currently allows abortion until 20 weeks of pregnancy and has become a destination for patients seeking abortions across the South in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling. In the first two months after the landmark decision, North Carolina experienced a spike in abortions, a, a bigger one than any other state. Rather than introducing the proposal as a new bill, As is typical, Republicans instead gutted a different piece of legislation and inserted the abortion bill into it, allowing them to circumvent the usual committee process. 
which can take weeks or months. That was a move Democrats called fitting for autocracy. If Republicans want to keep doubling down on election losing ideas in swing states like Ohio and North Carolina, hey, more power to you. In fact, Trump was bragging on Truth Social today, Dana, that he should get all the credit for overturning Roe. I did that, he said. Yep. Proudly, he said. And Biden quickly capitalized on that and posted a photo of Trump's post, turned it into a campaign ad immediately. So whoever's working on Biden's team right now when it comes to like a rapid response, the videos from the town hall, something like that. Kudos. Give them a raise. Whoever it is. I don't know who they are, but give them a raise. That digital comms team is. Really, yeah, And I'm not good. saying him, by the way. I'm just saying E.M. Give him. I don't know. I don't know who it is. <laughs> I do. It's a lady. Oh, give her a raise. <laughs> there you go. Okay. All right. This last story in this section, this is from the New York Daily News. A Staten Island ShopRite employee has sued former mayor Rudy Giuliani over an incident that landed the store worker in jail overnight on charges that were quickly dismissed. It's the second time this week Giuliani has been sued in New York City. I'm sure. Did you cover this on the day when I lost the disgusting lawsuit about him just being a horrible fucking disgusting pig? Yeah, I covered that. I had a feeling. All right. Yeah. Daniel Gill's Manhattan federal court lawsuit. All right. Demands $2 million from Giuliani for colluding Rudy Rudy, with the New York PD, NYPD, to throw him behind bars on a false charge of assaulting an elderly person after he patted him on the back and called him a scumbag. Actually, I think he called him a shitbag. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, widely seen CCTV footage of the incident, which happened as Giuliani was campaigning for his son Andrew's, his failed gubernatorial run in Charleston on Staten Island, painted a different picture than what Giuliani described as being, quote, hit on the back as if a boulder hit me. I remember this video, by the way. Remember? And he, yes, I do. He just fucking tapped him. Oh, my God. He was like, a, and, and at that point, it, he was like a male soccer player. He fell to the ground and was like, <laughs> red card, red card. Okay. Now, flopped, uh, yeah. Gil is seen on CCTV approaching Giuliani from behind, as we know, patting him on the back with an open palm before saying something and walking off. Yep. Giuliani said Gil had said, and I quote, what's up, shitbag? After the pat, before criticizing his anti-abortion stance, and this is a quote, he kept cursing. He wouldn't stop, Giuliani claimed in the aftermath. He kept menacing and threatening me. So I said, let's get him arrested. Let's make an example out of him. Hmm. <laughs> Gill's suit opens with a quote from Mayor Adams, who criticized Giuliani in the incident's aftermath for handling the incident very irresponsibly. And this is the quote, someone needs to remind former Mayor Giuliani that falsely reporting a crime is a crime. That's what Adam said in June of 2022 and went on to say what he stated. There was a lot of creativity. And I think the district attorney who has the wrong person who he's investigating. When you look at the video, the guy basically walked by and patted him on the back. Now, Gill, who announced his attention to sue last September, was hit with felony assault charges that prosecutors later downgraded and then ultimately dismissed. His lawyer, civil rights attorney Ron Kuby said even though his client legally cleared his name, it didn't get him his job back or his privacy. Kuby said Gill was inundated with hate mail and threatening messages after Giuliani went on a media tour in which he lied about non-existent, quote, wounds suffered in the attack. I'm surprised he didn't put one of those neck braces on when someone gets rear-ended. <laughs> and this is a quote from the story as well. Rudy Giuliani's lies have caused incalculable damage to this country, but his lies about Daniel Gill 
should cost him about $2 million, Kubi told the news. <laughs> yep, he went on to say, and the Staten Island police went along with it. They made sure that Gil spent at least a night in jail. The cops should be careful who they do favors for while wearing body cameras. Ooh. Damn. Wow. And just, uh, you know, so, you know, uh, no, Daniel Gill, no relation to me, Allison Gill. Yeah. But uh, us Gills, don't fuck with us. All right. Shitbag. Shitbag. All right, everybody. We'll be right back with Brandon DeRoche to discuss the Propeller app, and then we'll have the good news. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by the founder and CEO of Propeller, and his name is Brandon DeRoche. Brandon, hi. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you, Allison. It's really, really great to meet you. I wanted to talk to you about some of the work you're doing with Propeller, what Propeller is, and how you're helping to activate activists and get people more involved in in activism. And And I think that ever since, you know, we went into a lockdown and we've had to come up with sort of new and inventive ways to engage folks in these active roles, I think some of the best practices have come out that, you know, we've seen in a very long time and it's enabled folks who generally maybe weren't able to or, you know, couldn't get involved as they wanted to be. And so I I really am very much looking forward to talking about what you're doing in that space. Can you talk about why you decided to put together Propeller? What tell us what it's what it is and 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 what prompted you to to start it? Sure. That it's it's been a long road to that. And I started the company in 2015. So we've been around for eight years now. But um I it goes back to my time right out of high school. I was in a band from 2002 to 2008 and we used to tour the US and Europe. And I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania. When we started touring in Europe, um it was really my first time really understanding how much other people did not like our government. It was during the Bush era. And <laughs> yeah, we had apology shirts that we would wear when we went to uh, to Europe, my friends and I. Like, we, we were very sorry about our government. It was in six different languages <laughs> uh, <laughs> during the Bush era. So I totally feel that. Out of Just out of curiosity, what was the band? The band was called The Underwater. I would not expect mm-hmm. anyone listening to this to ever have heard of us. But um, we, we did okay in an indie sense. And Got a lot of cool opportunities, especially, you know, for me at the time being really young, going to Europe and traveling from city to city and country to country and meeting people and doing interviews and being on radio stations and stuff over there. And um, as I said, people would say, you know, you guys are cool, but fuck your government. (laughs) And and so we just saw even at that small level, like just the tiny baby band, seeing the opportunity you have if you're an artist and you have a platform and how you can use that for something positive. And so it sort of became our mission. And, you know, for me, I really liked that idea of how you can use um, as a musician or anyone that has a platform, how you can use that for something. And I didn't have a particular cause or anything that I was I was trying to amplify. It was more just generally how you can you can use your platform for good. And when I didn't think my band was going to make it and get to that level of, you know, really being able to have an impact, I left the band moved to Los Angeles and um, had these ideas of basically working with artists and kind of being a cheerleader to get them to do more. The artists that were established had the platform on how they can use that. And um, I met a company at the time in 2008. It was like right before Obama took office, just this feeling of change in the air and all these things happening and started doing this kind of work. And so that was kind of an early for-profit social impact startup. 
and um, the company was well funded and, you know, had that was, I ran the music program. And so I got to come up with digital campaigns where we would partner with artists and music festivals and um, create these campaigns that use their platform to incentivize their fans to take action for, for different causes. And so that looked like a lot of different things. One of the projects at the time was around the Haiti earthquake and there's a whole relief effort around that. And we have a lot of big artists from Lincoln park and Jack Johnson and Weezer and all these bands that participated. And anyway, that company pivoted. I ended up going and um, working for the band Incubus running their foundation. And um, during that time really saw that the band was really effective at raising money and they had raised millions of dollars. They did that by having these VIP meet and greet programs where the fans would, you know, um, buy these packages, all the money went to the foundation. They get to meet the band. And I'd meet some of these fans at these at the when they were meeting the rest of the, the band, and they would tell me how much they love the foundation. And I'd say, Well, what do you love about it? And they would they didn't really have any clue about the work that we were doing. And all we did was give grants to other organizations. And so um, it felt like a missed opportunity to not only use that that um, that platform that the band had to raise funds, but to also educate the fans on the causes that we were giving grants to. But hopefully they can learn about those causes and then ultimately convert into just being direct supporters of those organizations. And so um, between that and my history of this other company, I, I just wanted to create a platform that gave people opportunities to get involved in more ways than just by donating and um, give them other way, ways to take action for these organizations. And so that was really the impetus for Propeller and um, you know, starting Rooted in Music partnering with different artists and putting up these big prizes and rewards that can be earned or win through the platform by, by taking action and taking action on propeller can mean anything from signing petitions to registering to vote, to offline actions like volunteering, to watching awareness videos. And of course, donations are a part of it as well. But that's sort of my long winded answer as to how um, the road that took me to, to starting propeller. That's a really amazing. I've always found it, so interesting how we start in one place and we and we end up somewhere we never thought we would be. Um, and so I really appreciate this work that you're doing. And, and let's talk about some of the um, more recent, uh, bigger initiatives that Propeller has been involved with. Let's talk about Lizzo, Tenacious D. Can you tell us a little bit about some of these partnerships? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, last year we started the year with Justin Bieber's world tour. It's called the Justice Tour. And so we had a really big program there where all kinds of rewards and, and prizes from, from Justin, from ticket upgrades to a trip to Paris and all these things that were a part of it. And after we did that tour, we kept having really great opportunities with other, other artists. And so um, Lizzo being one of them, and Lizzo has a Juneteenth initiative that um, was her third time doing it. And she supports a lot of organizations from her hometown that are doing work around racial justice and we partnered with her in the past. She had just done fundraising campaigns around it. And this was an opportunity to do a campaign that had the fundraising component, um, but also had all these other actions that her fans could take. The, the main prize in the campaign was to win a trip with three of your friends to go be Lizzo's big girl for the day in San Francisco. And so that was, of course, a big draw where, um, where fans got to go and they got to dance with her on stage beforehand and uh, have this really amazing experience. Lizzo is very authentic and and one of the best people we've we've worked with as far as the authenticity and having such a big platform to to generate that kind of impact and um and so 
she also was supporting reproductive rights. And this was planned before the Dobbs decision. And then when the Dobbs decision happened, um, she also then partnered with Live Nation on her tour to donate a million dollars to Planned Parenthood. And because we were already were doing work around reproductive rights, it, it generated a lot of press and visibility for the campaign and, and um, ended up just being an excuse for people to donate to you know reproductive rights um, because they saw that Lizzo had this opportunity and already probably wanted to do something. They could also sign petitions and, and take other actions around it as well. So that was a really big opportunity for us in the campaign that we we're really proud of. It was um, very short, only a couple of weeks long, but um, went very well. And then, yeah, the Tenacious D campaign, we did a, a, a voting campaign with them um, before the midterms. And that ended up being the most participated campaign we've had to date. There was, I believe, over 40,000 people that participated and took action in that campaign. And the prize in that one was to win a trip to hang out with Tenacious D at their New Year's show in Las Vegas. And um, those guys are great, also very authentic and caring about causes and wanting to get people involved. And, and so um, that was an exciting one for us. And I'll also mention, you know, a, a big program for us that's also very different is um, what we do at Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado. And um, that's our first venue partnership that we have that started last year. We are at every Red Rocks event. Um, we have different ways we engage people, give them prizes they can win for taking action. We put calls to actions up on the big screens. We have an activation on the top plaza. We throw after parties. We do a lot of different flyaway campaigns to that. And last year we had over 120,000 people participate in the program and um, raised, I believe, over $230,000. And it's a program we're really going to be building on this season at Red Rocks. And um, we're really excited about that one in particular as well. That's so incredible. It's such amazing work when all the ideas come together like that. And it's really, truly like win, 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 win situations. You know, I mean, it's that's the kind of work that I love and that's the kind of energy that I really love to to promote. And, and talk to us a little bit about this new partnership that you have now with the Human Rights Campaign. Because as listeners know, Dana Goldberg hosts many of the galas for uh, Human Rights Campaign. I know she's raised tens of millions of dollars, helped to raise tens of millions of dollars for HRC. Talk a little bit about this, because I, this I find so, so incredible. Yeah, so HRC, I believe we started working with in 2021. We did a campaign with Demi Lovato. And that was our first um, partnership we had with Human Rights Campaign. And they're just a partner that we love and it's been working very well. And so we just continued to expand our, our partnership with HRC since then. And this year, especially, it's pretty much our biggest initiative we have in terms of um, all the opportunities we're doing. It's obviously a, a time where LGBTQ rights and trans rights are um, under fire. And, you know, I live in Nashville. There's so much going on here in Tennessee. And then obviously in a lot of places around the country. And so um, we've been running a lot of different campaigns with them and um, getting people to, to take action on their behalf um, by partnering different music festivals and tours. And we're going to be partnering with them during Pride. They're at almost every Pride event around the country. I'm not going to say what it is yet, but we're giving away a really big prize um, as part of that, that we're gonna, they're going to be working to leverage this prize to engage people at, at the Pride events and give them a, a, a nice excuse to take action. Um, not that they need one, but just an additional boost to get them to take action for LGBTQ rights and for HRC specifically. We have them plugged into almost every Red Rocks event we're doing, and then just going to be continuing on kind of in an ongoing way around getting people to um, to join their movement. So 
it's a partnership we really cherish and one we're seeing just incredible response to because people want to do something. I think that's often where we leverage the megaphones that these artists and influencers have and make it really easy for, for people that are following these artists or fans of these artists to, you know, give them a, a one step they can take for taking action when they might be overwhelmed on what they could possibly do for a cause that they care about. And can you tell everyone where they can go to get information on on these actions and and get involved and perhaps you know when we'll learn what the prize is for the for the HRC interaction and and involvement? Uh, I, I would love to just let everybody know where they can go find all this information and start getting involved. So I would say just go to propeller.la. That is the the website homepage, and on there you will certainly see HRC and um, a lot of different ways, uh, different campaigns we have going for them, and ways people can get involved and start taking action for them and being entered to win different prizes and earning rewards on the platform. The prize that I'm referring to is one we'll be kicking off for Pride Month in June, but we'll be running through uh, the fall as well. So it'll be going for a while. Awesome. And how does the point system work? Point system works that every action you take on Propeller, you're in points. And so um, the actions are sort of weighted in accordance with the value in terms of, you know, if it's a bigger ask, it's going to be worth more points and donations are worth more points. But there's all kinds of actions you can take that are not monetary that still support the cause and help bring people into those different movements that we have. And then you can use your points to either get entries towards these big sweepstakes experience. So winning a trip to meet Lizzo, for example, those kinds of experiences are, are typically done as sweepstakes. And you can, you know, the more points you're redeeming, the more you can increase your chances of winning those prizes. And then we have a lot of other rewards on the platform that you can actually just earn. So if you have enough points, you can just redeem what those rewards are, including philanthropic rewards like planting trees and feeding people and different things that are actually donations that you're using your points to. So it's, you know, you can use them for getting stuff for yourself or you can use them for giving back. It's really uh, your own your own choice. That's so awesome. So, all right, everybody, Propeller.la, go see how you can get involved. And I want to thank you very much, the founder and CEO of Propeller, Brandon DeRoche. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play What the Mutt, or give a shout out to a loved one or a small business in your area or your small business or your big business, you know, your big business. <laughs> You're your Lily big Tomlin. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Um, if you haven't seen Big Business, definitely check it out. Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler, right? Yeah. Uh, so yes. Good. Uh, also, if you have a whoopee story or you want to play What the Heck Wine, where I guess what breed your horse is, anything you want to send to us, really, just anything at all, you could send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, I'll kick us off, Dana, with Deb, pronouns she and her. Hello, fearless leaders of the Leguminati. I wanted to share the most fun I got to have last week, nails inspired by you fabulous ladies. Ooh. My sweet friend M will be wearing these while they work at the polls tomorrow. Several months back, I was telling them about this new podcast I was listening to called Jack, and they excitedly told me about the beans. And I've been having my morning coffee with you ever since. Deb, that's so fucking cool. 
For pet tax, meet our dapper boy Max and his unruly little brother Bonsai. We were told Bonsai was a lab mix. The wisdom panel said otherwise. The lab coming in at a whopping 1%. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Three breeds make up 60% of him. American Pit and Staffy are one and three. Any guesses for number two? Oh, so now now she oh. pulls the easy ones for us. Thanks for all you do to help keep us informed and laughing. AG, look, we're on the nails. Oh my gosh. I'm AG and I'm DG. I'm and them's the beans. Look at, oh, and look at the coffee and the woman and the, oh. All of this is so cool. Oh. Oh, I was like, um, the third breed in your dog is a cat. <laughs> nope, wrong picture. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to say Visla. Pity, Staffy, and the second one, I'm going to say, I don't know what you or, just said. I'm gonna I said say Visla la- Lab. Well, they already said Lab. They 1%. did? Yeah. That was oh. 1%. I'm going right, to say Visla right. or uh, the, the Ridgeback. Those are my All two right. guesses, but I'm, I'm really leaning toward the Visla. All right, we're going to go with yours because I don't even know what dog. German Shepherd. Is. What? German Shepherd. Burn the place down. German, <laughs> if Mike Pence does the right thing. Actually, look at the way the dog's sitting in the paws. I can see, like, turn that dog into a German Shepherd. You Like the way it's sitting and sort of looking up like. <sighs> Come I on. I demand a recount. All right. All right. We'll get back to it. All right. Beautiful, beautiful pets. Beautiful. It is gorgeous, gorgeous. All right. This is from Rowan pronouncing him. This past weekend, I completed my doctorate in acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Rowan, give me your number. Yeah, I know. Uh, I want our profession to be taken more seriously. So I started by taking myself more seriously and going back to school to complete the last 30 credits that I needed to earn my doctorate. I'm excited to offer better care to more people and to convince the hospital system and the insurance companies that they should pay us to help make people's lives better. I agree, by the way. When I was in school, the word on the street was that the VA would never contract with acupuncturists, but now I'm in network with the VA and I help veterans every day with pain, PTSD, digestive problems, and lots of other things. Change is possible and it will continue if I have anything to say about it. Also, as a trans healthcare provider, I feel an extra need to make the system better and get people in my community the care that they deserve. End rant. Rock the fuck on, Rowan. Thank you. P.S. I'm accepting new patients in Portland at Inner Sanctuary Wellness on the Google. Here's a picture of my two floof balls, the sassy tortoiseshell Ruby and her younger void brother, Ozzy. We were blessed with several wonderful years with Rith, the memorable Catman face, who oh. passed away suddenly last September. Oh, no. Oh. After a couple of months with one initially confused and then lonely cat, we got a tiny black kitten who has been teaching her to roughhouse and following her around the house. She seems to enjoy despite herself. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about man cat face. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, okay. So Inner Sanctuary Wellness in Portland. Uh, if you're a veteran or if not, but, you know, I, I, I'm a veteran. I take advantage of acupuncture now that the VA has recognized it as a, a incredible therapy for all sorts of different things. And and the VA will cover it. So everybody check out Inner Sanctuary Wellness in Portland, Oregon. Look at the baby kitties. Oh, my goodness. Look at the, the peats and the toes Jeez. on the void. Thank you for that. And congratulations on your doctorate, Rowan. That's really, really well done. Next up, pronouns she and her. Hi, Beanie Babies. Listening to you talk about the shooting in New Mexico 
and how it impacted DG being so close to home. It reminded me that yesterday driving through our town, Medford, and passing a shop with a large flashy electronic sign advertising that AR-15s were back in stock for only $6.99 and only a one to two day wait period. And my son and I felt our stomachs rise in our throats, realizing how fraught with danger our regular life outings now pose. I wanted to drive home and hide. Thank the gods for our furballs who provide therapy daily for us. That said, here they are, my therapists, Truman Capoodle. Okay, stop it. That's t- hilarious and the great name. Ugh. Olivet, our old man skipper. Love you. Is it Olivet or Olivet or Olivet? I don't know. It's beautiful, though. Olivet. Look at it. Oh, my God. Oh. Truman Capoodle. I know. That's. <laughs> oh, look at the oh, smudge. These animals the... are so sweet. Smudge on the caddo and the. Oh. That, that last dog looks so soft. So soft. All right. This next one's from Christina. Pronoun she and her. Good news. Yesterday, I received the following message from my friend who lives in a small rural Texas town. And this is it. Hi, Christina. I wanted to let you know that I had my social worker help me register to vote and my caregiver has agreed to take me to the polls to vote for my first time ever in 2024 election because of the first time I feel like my vote will matter because of how you have explained things to me. I will be registering as a Democrat because I am damn sure not a Republican and I don't think independents get anywhere in my state. I strongly feel the only way to get out of this sh- fascist fascist hell is to vote left and of the quote. Mm. This is a huge deal as my friend has a disability that requires she be in a wheelchair and Texas is notorious for making registering and voting difficult for her community, hence the need for help from her social worker. She also comes from a very conservative religious family full of Trump supporters and included the fact that she cannot let the father know she is registering Dem in her follow-up message. (sighs) I just wanted you two to know that we are taking, quote, vote blue and take people with you to heart out here. Love to everyone and have a great week. Christina, that's such a cool story. It is. And it seems like a really good ending to the good news today. Absolutely. So yeah, um, I I hate that they make it hard for people to vote. I, I just, any, any group that, <laughs> that has, a, you should, there shouldn't be, it shouldn't be hard to vote. It just shouldn't be hard to vote. Well, they know if they don't make, if voter suppression wasn't a thing, there would be zero red states. And and right now there aren't, and I say this, and I know you know this, there aren't red states. There are blue states and voters suppressed states. Yeah. Even Florida. Mm-hmm. Even Florida. Yeah, yeah. And we see what happens when, when, when you can draw the lines fairly. We saw it in Michigan. Yep. And we're about to see it in Wisconsin. And uh, we need to continue that trend. Uh, otherwise, they pass abortion bans in emptied out bills to circumvent the regular process or they want to make it impossible to amend the constitution. It's, um, it's uh, uh, very, very frustrating. Uh, And I know it's an uphill battle, but you know what? It's always an uphill climb for the good guys. (laughs) It just is. Right. I know. Cause we have those silly things like the truth and facts we have to deal with truth or facts and scruples and consciences. And I mean, it's, did I say yeah. consciences? I don't know, but you know what? It's by a word. Consciences. 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 Oh, anyway, uh, 
sick brain today. So thank you very much, everybody, for putting up with my little bit of a scratchy voice and my uh, not understanding how sentences are made and my (laughs) word usements. Uh, So do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? No, I think we should get you to bed and just keep on moving. Yeah, I need some craft dinner and a and a blankie. So I'm going to do that. Everybody will be back tomorrow uh, for the Friday show. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone with you, please. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.